You're listening to the Hillspring Church audio podcast. Hillspring exists so that all people can find and embrace a life of faith through Christ. For more information or to get involved, visit us on the web at hillspringchurch.org. We're picking up this morning where we left off last week in the story of Joseph, in the story of Joseph, which I said, I think is one of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible. As I said last week, there's a couple of things that make the story of Joseph so valuable to us as people of faith. First of all, many of the details of Joseph's life have a striking resemblance to the life of Jesus, which is not only amazing, but it shows us that God had a plan of salvation, not just, you know, it's not just a new book written in the New Testament where someone was like, hey, we're going to record that. God's plan of salvation was alive and active all throughout history and recorded even in the Old Testament as well. Additionally, Joseph is an amazing example of faith for us as followers of Christ in a world that is far from ideal or easy. And we're going to get a glimpse of that today in Joseph's life. Now, if you weren't here last week, the story started off with a few details about Joseph. First of all, Joseph was a guy who stood for truth. He shed some light on some unethical behavior of his own brothers, brought a bad report back to his father about them. Excuse me. Puberty's hard at 44. <laughs> Joseph had a special relationship with his father as well that was marked with a, uh, you know, this uh, robe known as either an ornamented robe or long-sleeved robe. And so that made him stand out as someone who was specially chosen by his father and favored. And then also to, to make things, well, another detail about his life was that he was told by God in a dream that one day he would rule over his family. And as great as these things were for Joseph, his 11 brothers weren't as excited about those details of Joseph's life. They weren't super excited for him. In fact, they hated him. They hated him. And I wish I could say that his brothers got over their beef with Joseph and they all lived happily ever after. But we're going to soon see that things are about to go from bad to worse in Joseph's life. So before we dig in, why don't you stand with me one more time, and we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to lead us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've been involved in the lives, lives of your people for many, many generations, many years. And we thank you that through Joseph's story, we can see your hand on his life and, and how you were with him, God, through the good times and the bad. And we just pray that you would use these stories to grow our faith and, cause, and, and help us to just follow you in faith no matter what comes our way, we pray in your holy name. Amen, amen. All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone, if not, it's gonna be on the screen, but you're gonna wish you brought your Bible today because everyone can find Genesis. So if maybe you don't bring your Bible because you don't wanna be the person that's like looking for the book of the Bible that we've called you to do, well, this is the morning that you're gonna wish you did because Genesis is one of the easiest books to find, right? The word Genesis means beginning. So where do you think the book of Genesis is found? No, that would be the table of contents. But it is after the table of contents. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, verse 12. You should be able to find it. Genesis 37, verse 12. And we're going to start on the story. Now his, meaning Joseph's brothers, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, again, the name that was given to their father Jacob, 
when he wrestled with God, Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. So what we see now is that Joseph's brothers had all left home for a while. They'd gone to graze their flocks in this place called Shechem. And Joseph's father tells Joseph to go and check on them and bring word back to him. Now Shechem was about 50 miles from where they were. Why they went so far to graze their flocks, we don't know. Perhaps it was a better place. Perhaps there was more food for the animals. We're not sure, but at least it explains why Joseph would be sent to check on them. They weren't close enough that they could come back every evening and their father would know what is going on. Now remember, because Joseph had shed some light on their unethical behavior and because he had a dream that he would rule one day, his brothers hated him and wouldn't say a kind word, not one kind word to him. And again, he's being sent to bring back a report. Maybe that's what Joseph's father relied on him to do. You know, as they would go and do their work, he would just walk out. Remember, we said that a long, if it was a long sleeve robe, that really wasn't meant for working. And so maybe he would, you know, trot along, you know, pop up every once in a while and see what his brothers were doing and then take a report back to their father. And so you could see that maybe why they would start to get agitated when their younger brother would show up on the scene. Well, this time they're 50 miles away from home. And so the way the relationship was left off, it's probably not going to be a good experience for Joseph when he encounters them. Nevertheless, Joseph is willing. His father asks him to go and check on his brothers. And Joseph says, sure, I'll go do that. And, and he gets ready and he heads off. Genesis 37, 14, the end, end of thir- 14, end of verse 14. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So when Joseph arrives in the place where his brothers are supposed to be, they're not there. Maybe they had to move on for food for the flocks, but if that's the case, how would anyone ever find them? I mean, it seems like the practice would be, this is where we're going to go This is where we're going to graze our flocks because the father knew where he was going to send Joseph to go check on them, but they weren't where they were supposed to be. Maybe they knew that Joseph was going to come and check on them, so they decided to move on so he wouldn't find them, and then they could just do what they wanted because last time they tried to do what they wanted, right? Joseph took a bad report back to their father. But if that was their plan, it was foiled because Joseph shows up to where they were supposed to be just at the same time that another guy is there that sees Joseph wandering around and also had heard where his brothers were heading. And so this guy tips Joseph off that they'd gone to Dothan, which is another 15 miles from home. And in Genesis 37, 17, we read, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So that's when Joseph's brothers ran to Joseph and told them they were sorry and they embraced and they wept and They all lived happily ever after. Not quite. How many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph? How many of you ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? There you go. I I don't know if that's an accurate retelling or not, but I haven't seen it. Genesis 37, 17 to 18 says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance, they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
Perhaps it was the fancy robe that identified him, but the brothers knew who it was that was coming and they wanted him dead. Now I have a brother. Anyone else have brothers? Okay, a lot of you have brothers. I can't remember the last time that my brother and I fought, but when we were younger, we definitely had our fights. Anyone else have fights with your brothers when you were younger? Okay, I won't ask if you still fight with your brother. But I said things to him that weren't nice. He said things to me that weren't nice. We got on each other's nerves. We wrestled. We may have even thrown things at each other once in a while. But I can honestly say that I never plotted to kill my brother. And I can't speak for him, but I hope if he were here this morning that he would say the same thing. But Joseph's brothers were full of hatred towards him. And in verse 19, we get an inside scoop of their plans when they say to each other, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Before Joseph even gets to them, not only do they decide that they want to kill him, but they even come up with a plan to dispose of his body and cover up the murder. We also see what it is that's bothering them most about their brother, his dreams. His dream that one day he would rule over them. They hated the idea that their younger little brother would rule over them. So much so that they felt that the best thing to do would be to kill him and eliminate the possibility of that ever happening. Were they actually intimidated by Joseph's dreams? I mean, in those days, people did see dreams as a medium for God's messages to his people. So maybe they were afraid that if God had spoken these things to Joseph, that it may actually happen. And so they they, they, they thought that God was at work, but that kind of makes it even worse, doesn't it? Because if that's the case, then they were arrogantly acting in opposition to the will of God, thinking that they could somehow stop the will of God himself. Well, thankfully, not all of them were equally thirsty for blood. And in verses 21 to 22, we read that when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take them, take him back to his father. So apparently Reuben's suggestion was actually well-received by the group. It was probably appealing because in their minds, it added this extra step between them and their guilt of murder. If they threw him in a pit, if all they did was throw him in a pit and leave them, leave him there, and if he died of dehydration or if he died of starvation or cold, then tactically they didn't kill him, right? Well, right goes, the story goes on. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, so we know that he didn't drown, and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So these guys, these were callous brothers. I mean, imagine, first of all, you're, you just have this kind of casual discussion about killing your brother and, uh, you know, dipping his robe in blood and taking it back to your father to cover up what you've done. 
even though they just decided just to throw him into the cistern, they're assuming he's going to die. And then they sit down and have a meal. It's like, well, I'm hungry. Let's have a sandwich. And as they do, they, they see what appear to be traitors from Gilead. I'm picturing a band of Jawas for any of you Star Wars fans out there. And another brother named Judah has an even better idea once they see these guys. Judah said to his brothers, verses 20, beginning at verse 26, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Now, it may appear that Judah is trying to avoid evil, but he's actually figured out a way to profit from this whole thing. Right? I mean, it's not just let's throw him in a pit. I mean, at least Reuben had a plan to come back and save him. Now Judah's like, you know what? If we kill him, I mean, yes, we shed innocent blood or we shed blood and that's going to be on our hands. But more so, if we sell him, we could actually profit by selling our brother as a slave to these people. And the rest of his brothers agree. So verse 28, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels. Imagine what must have been going on in Joseph's mind. Sold him for 20 shekels of silver, which is the common price for a slave, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And if you're familiar with the story, Reuben apparently was away when all this happened. So he comes back and he mourns that his brother isn't in the pit. But then his brothers follow through with the plan that they had discussed. They take Joseph's robe. They, they slaughter a goat. They dip the blood, the robe in the blood. And then they go home and they give the robe to their father. And they don't even suggest what happened. They just give it to him and they say, you know, is this, take a look at this and see if it's your son's robe. And then their father, Jacob, he comes to this, the exact conclusion that they hope that he'll come to. He says, you know, my, my son has been devoured by a ferocious animal. And no matter how many people try to console him, he vows that he won't stop mourning until the day that he dies, until the day that he joins Joseph in the grave. Now, I started this series by talking about what an amazing story this is in the Bible, but this is a sad story. This isn't a fun story at all when you really think about what's happening here. And this would be a pretty emotional plot for a movie, wouldn't it? I mean, what a brutal series of events in Joseph's life. Imagine how he must have felt. Imagine being rejected and betrayed by your immediate family. Thrown into a pit and then sold as a slave to a foreign land. And there's no one that ever plans for their life to go that way. There's no one who ever wakes up and says, you know what, I'm sure that today's probably going to be a day where I'm going to get rejected and sold into slavery by my brothers. No one ever plans their life to have such low lows. Surely Joseph must have wondered if God actually spoke to him through his dream as these things were taking place. But here's the thing, as, as painful as this must have been for Joseph in the moment, we know that while this was a low point in Joseph's story, we know that it's not the end of Joseph's story. 
While it was a low point in the story, while Joseph may, had no, may have had no idea what was going on, while Joseph may have, have had no way of coming to any sort of understanding as to why that was happening in his life, we know that it's not the end of his story. Spoiler alert, because if you're familiar with the story, you know that God will work out his plan just as he said he would. See, we get to see the bigger picture. We get to see the bigger picture than Joseph himself had when he was in the moment. Now, Joseph isn't the only one who experienced a low point in the story of his life, is he? In fact, we know someone else who faced rejection on a whole other level. Joseph was rejected by his own brothers and sold into slavery. But in John 1.11, we read that Jesus also came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In fact, we know that instead they rejected and killed him by nailing him to a cross. And similar to Joseph, people who knew Jesus thought it was the end. They thought Jesus was gone. They wept and they mourned. But we know that while it was certainly a low point in Jesus' story, we know as well that it wasn't the end of Jesus' story. It wasn't the end. Because we, again, have seen the bigger picture. Even though Jesus' story appeared to be over for everyone else around him, when he was laid in the grave, God raised Jesus up from the dead and accomplished his will when there was no one that could have imagined that taking place. God raised his son up from the dead and accomplished his will to save the world through him. So what's the point? Well, similarly this morning, you might be at this very moment in the lowest of low points in your life. You might be at a low point in your story this morning. You might be experiencing serious illness and you have no idea how that's going to turn out. In fact, you may have even had doctors tell you that it's not looking good at all. You may be financially tapped out. You may have no idea how you're going to move forward financially. You may have recently lost a job with no idea how you're going to provide for yourself in the future. You may be the victim of injustice. Maybe you stood up for something such as we talked about last week, like Joseph did, and, and you lost your job or you, you were rejected in a relationship because you stood up for justice. Maybe you're going through marital hardship and you've been struggling for a while, but right now you'd say that you're at rock bottom and you have no idea how you're going to put the pieces of your life back together. Or you simply might just be emotionally and mentally spent, physically spent. You've been grinding so long in life that you just don't have any emotional or physical resources left. I know what it's like to be there. Please know this morning that while you might be at a low point in your story, in Christ, this isn't the end of your story. Whenever you're in Christ, as low of a point you may feel that you're at right now in the story of your life, it's not the end of your story. You might say, well, how can I say that? Well, because not only do we, have we seen the bigger picture in Joseph's life, not only have we seen the bigger picture in the life of Christ, 
when Christ rose from the dead, he also showed us the bigger picture for our lives as well through his resurrection. And this is what the apostle Paul explained when he wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. Into the mid to late first century, the Christian church experienced a low point in their story. Not only were they verbally and physically abused for their faith, but many were imprisoned and killed for their faith. And listen to what Paul said to them in 2 Corinthians 4, 14 to 18. He said, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. A couple verses later, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now, you may not consider your troubles light and momentary. But Paul is talking about what are great troubles in their lives in the context of the bigger picture here. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. It's not the end of your story. It's a moment in your story. It's temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's forever. What is unseen is how things will be once and for all. What is he saying? He's saying that even though you're on a, at a low point in your life, even though life is extremely hard right now, he's saying keep your eyes on the bigger picture. This is what it means to be people of faith. It's to be people who constantly keep our eyes on the bigger picture, not just on the details of our lives. I'm not saying that the details of your lives don't consume your attention or don't fight for your attention at times. But as people of faith, part of being people of faith is to redirect our attention over and over again back to the bigger picture. No matter what we go through, we press on, not losing hope, even when by human appearances, there's no hope in sight. Because what is seen is temporary. It's just a stop along the way. But what is unseen is eternal. And even though the world may not see the bigger picture, you know, we're blessed because Christ has given us a glimpse of his victory over this world when he rose from the dead. He wants the whole world to see that glimpse. But we've been blessed with an understanding of the bigger picture. So we know that no matter what comes our way, it's not the end of our story when we're in Christ. And this is why we need to meet together regularly. This is why we need to remind ourselves regularly of the story. That's why Jesus said, you know, do this in remembrance of me. Celebrate communion once. Well, he didn't say once a month. That's the, the, the routine that we go through. But he said, do this regular in remembrance of me. Remind yourself of the bigger picture that he gave his life to forgive our sins and rose from the dead so that we know that this world is not all there is, that he's coming to make things new. And so we need to meet together regularly. We need to remind ourselves regularly of the bigger picture and we need to encourage one another. You know, be involved in each other's lives so that when someone that you love and care about in your church family is going through a low point, 
not in a cliche way, but in a sincere and encouraging way, you can remind them that what they're going through is a moment in their story. And you can still come alongside them and support them and encourage them as they go through those times. It doesn't just mean saying, hey, you know, it's only a moment, and then you go back to your life. It may mean that you walk alongside them through that moment, but as you do, as you're walking you know, hand in hand with them, you remind them the whole way. This is just a moment in the story. This is just a moment in the story. And I don't mean to make light of death, but the truth is, even if death is the final result, that is not the end of your story in Christ. Now, Paul said that, that death is completely different when you're in Christ, that you don't mourn like the rest of the world, because as people who know the bigger picture, even death itself, we know is not the end of the story. And so I've lost people that I love dearly in life, but it's not the same as if I didn't have the bigger picture in mind. I miss them, sure. But I know where we're going to be after this life. And so I, I have great comfort in that, even in those low points. And this is what gives us the strength to move forward. When anyone else would lose hope, it's the bigger picture that we have in Christ. So if you're struggling this morning, if you're hurting, if you are just weak from whatever position you find yourself in today, if you're hurting, I want to encourage you this morning to keep your eyes on the bigger picture and to know that this is not the end of your story. That in Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is hope. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. God, I pray for everyone who is here this morning who might find themselves at a point in the plot of their story, God, that is similar to Joseph. They find themselves at a low point, God. And God, I pray that they would be encouraged this morning. I pray that they would be able to take to heart the fact that whatever they're going through, God, it's not the end of the story. It's a moment in their story. God, we thank you that you have revealed the truth to us. We thank you that you've shown us that you are victorious over the pain and the suffering in this world. And we take that to heart, God, and, and we follow you in faith because you've blessed us with the bigger picture of the victory that you have over our world. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would take residence in our heart and encourage everyone that is here today that it may be struggling or hurting. May they find comfort in you and the will that you will accomplish in this world, we pray. In your name, amen, amen. Let's sing this together.